Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you're back this week. I know some of you were like, you didn't know I was gone, but you were gone, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it was a great service. I was, I was here, Anson did real good. I know you weren't here. Don't try to pull that. How did Anson do last week? Pretty good? Yeah, I know you're not lying. I, I listen online. And I, I love the idea of what he led us into with this thing of worship. You see, we have cheapened the word worship. We really have. We have cheapened the word to identify it simply as the music segment of our churches, all the way down to calling our music pastors our worship pastors. Uh, and I love what Anne's has shared with you last week. If you weren't here, make sure you go and listen to that online. It sets the foundation of what we're talking about in this series, which is the experience. What do you experience when you experience church? Now, I grew up uh, not really going to church all that much. We hit here and there. Um, uh, we had a segment of my life where we went uh, nearly every week. But once we moved to Marina Valley in California, uh, not so much. And so when I discovered it as a teenager, I discovered it through youth ministries. In fact, I came on a Wednesday night youth program. I got saved at a Wednesday night youth program. I went for about a year in that Wednesday night program before it even dawned on me there was something happening on Sunday morning. Uh, and then I started going. And I went on Sunday morning because of the Camire girls. That was really the only reason I started going on Sunday mornings. And, you know, I mean, nothing ever worked out there. But, uh, uh, but I discovered church through that on Sunday morning church, and that Sunday morning church looked very different than this. A very long, narrow, rectangle sanctuary, traditional setup on that Sunday morning uh, service. In the middle of that stage, there was a huge table. You've seen tables on, I'm talking a huge table. The pastors had to walk around it, and on that table was always the communion elements. And they were stacked up tall. You've seen uh, some of the, when trays get passed and you take a cup out and you take a little piece of bread as well. And that's what we would do in that church. Uh, and every time we did communion, the pastor would come up and the pastor would read a passage. One of the passages I'm going to read for you in just a minute, a similar passage, he would read to us. And then these elements would be distributed among the church the elders of the church would come up and take them, and they would be the first to receive uh, as we watched on, and then they would go and they would start passing the communion out to the congregation. It was always at that time that someone came up from the congregation and started to sing, and often, most often that I can remember, it was a very traditional hymn type of song, much like we just sang, and almost always the theme was about the blood of Christ, the grace of God, those type of themes that were sung during that time. I'm going to be honest with you. For the two years that I was at that church as a teenager and I went through that, I never hooked all of the story together of communion and why we were doing it, why we did that a certain way, and what it all really represented and symbolized. I had this overarching thought that Christ had something to do with it. His resurrection had something to do with it, his death on the cross. But I didn't understand the significance of it entirely. And I want to tell you, many times my mind was elsewhere during that, that whole procession of communion as well. So this morning when we walk through this, I want to just really ask the question, what, what do we mean? What do we experience when we have the opportunity to experience 
communion. You might have grown up in a church, a traditional church, that called it, always called it holy communion, as you were taking it as well. What do we mean when we experience that this morning? If you have your Bibles or your sermon notes, in fact, if you got in here and you didn't get sermon notes, feel free to, to slip up your hand and Mike, uh, Mike will run them to you. Um, there used to be a day, you may not know this, that I was in Taekwondo with, with Mike back here, and there was often an obstacle course at the end of class that we'd be timed, and it was always like a neck-and-neck competition with Mike and I. So, like, this is right up his alley to run these, these cards around. Uh, so, yeah, very good. You got one clap. Here's what it says in, Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about this very issue of communion. If you have your sermon notes, follow along. It'll be on your screen as well. Here's what it says, Paul writing. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Can I tell you, first and foremost, that is what we as a church do when we celebrate communion. We are passing on to you. We are passing on to our kids what we received from Christ Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And that was a familiar passage. It was often read to me. I, I kind of knew that passage as it related to communion. I tell you the word that really stands out to me, and I want to talk through it this morning with you, is the word remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. My uh, younger brother, uh, who's now uh, 42 years old, so we're, you know, uh, we're right about the same age, and uh, he lost his first wife in a terrible car accident. A rough time for him, his family, for the whole Raven family. And there is a small grave that where he lives, he goes to with his two kids, their mother, and they remember, they remember Mariah often throughout the year. Jesus says here, do this in remembrance of of me. And it's that word remembrance that strikes me, remember. Because when we think of a time of remembrance, uh, that's kind of tied to the idea that we might forget something. And so we need to remember. What is it about Jesus? What is it about what communion represents that we tend or we might just forget? And so this morning, I want to talk you through just a couple things. If you got your sermon notes, these things on what I think we're, we're supposed to remember when we come into communion. What Christ would say, hey, remember this when you come into a time of communion. Here's number one. When we take communion, when you hold the elements in just a little while and you take them for yourself, remember you are valuable. You are tremendously valuable. Now, if you've been in the church world long enough, all the way back to youth group days, because, you know, that's where I started, 
You'll remember your youth pastors even started to let you know how valuable you're of worth. You know, God loves you. If you were the only person on earth, he would have died for you. And so we have heard this word valuable over and over so often to the point where we just don't really believe it. We don't really believe it. It's just just kind of become something that's kind of passe because we hear it all the time. But I want you to remember when you take communion of your value. There's a show uh, uh, on TV. Um, I think it's still on TV. We kind of watch the old, old episodes. Uh, it's called American Pickers. You know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, American Pickers. It's about these two guys. They're named Mike and Frank. And their job is they get in a van and they drive around the country and, and, and they basically they salvage things or pick things as they call them. They go into people's barns and houses or, or rotted out houses that sit on the back end of their property and they go through and they just look through everything that might look like rummage and they try to find these gems of history. Uh, paintings and pictures and, and old toys and, and all kinds of things that they would find and they would pick and they find this value in them. One time they found a, a 1935 Indian motorcycle. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know anything about Indian motorcycles until I saw this episode. And so they went back and forth. Um, Frank was really, really excited about it. And they eventually purchased it for $8,000. They did some renovation on it. They sold it for $35,000. And if you watch the show at all, you'll know that this kind of negotiation begins between the owner of this property. Now, the owner probably has had this sitting up there for years and may not even remember they have it, but there's this negotiation starts to go back and forth. Sometimes the owner thinks something's worth $500, and Mike and Frank says, no, it's about $200. Other times, the owner says, I don't know, 25 bucks, and Mike said, oh, you don't know what you have here. We'll give you $200 for it. And this type of dialogue is most of the show as they, as they work through these, these great historical pieces. And I've learned something on that show, and you would too if you watched it regularly. You will learn that the value of an item is really determined by the price a person is willing to pay. That's the value of an item. It's really determined by the price somebody is willing to pay. It doesn't matter how much a book says it's worth. It's what somebody is willing to pay. And in that, that show itself, I can see there's often two or three different values for even the same object because of what a person is willing to pay for that object. I think also if we change just one word in what I just told you, the price, the value, excuse me, of a person is determined by the price a person is willing to pay. Do you understand the parallel already that we're talking about here? Like when the, the rumblings came where, where Jesus, or God says, I'm going to descend from my throne and I'm going to go to earth because these people are so valuable for God so loved the world is what his word says. Because these people are valuable. And then maybe the question rumbled through heaven. Well, God, they're valuable. What are you willing to pay for them? What price are you willing to pay? That's what we remember in communion. Your value is determined by the price God was willing to pay for you. That's how our value, that's how we get to this. 
We find in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I've put it in your notes. We're not going to read through it all there. Um, it's a familiar passage. We actually use it many, many times in our teaching here. It's that significant of a passage. And we find here that in this passage, 5 through 11, if, uh, Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus basically, he leaves heaven and he comes to earth. I mean, he leaves what he had in heaven to come to really get a hold of us. That was his function, his job. That's the value you have to the Father, the price that he's willing to pay. It's like God is just stating it clearly this way. You are, your worth is the very life of Jesus. That's what God is willing to say there. Take a look, if you have your Bibles, it's, it won't, it's not in your notes, but 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. The righteousness of God is developed within us because of Christ. That is your worth and your value to be remembered in communion. Now, if you're like me, and I was sitting as a teenager in that church service that was new to me and keeping an eye on kind of the communion the pastor was doing, and where were those Camire girls too? And I mean, that was, my mind would float and just think about all kinds of things. In fact, some weeks, like even here, like during the singing time, um, my mind starts to drift. Uh, Did your mind ever do that? Uh, like some of you can't answer right now because your mind's drifted already. You're, you're already out there. Just, yeah, poke that person. Um, like, like sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm looking up here and I'm looking and I'm going, man, those are cool lights. You know, I need some lights. Not on the inside. I need like those lights on the outside. Like purple lights shining up in my pine trees outside. That would be really cool. So I, I'm going to run down to Home Depot and get some lights and, uh, and check that out. But, whoa, maybe I should go to Lowe's because Pastor Anson used to work at Lowe's, so I kind of feel loyalty now to, to Lowe's. So I'll go over to Lowe's instead. And I know right when I walk in, they have that garden section. I've got to get some weed and feed down on my yard. Ooh, Ollie's has a much better price on weed and feed. I'm going to go over. And it just goes. And I mean, is that your head sometimes too, right in the middle? Like my body is sitting there ready to sing and praise God or to receive communion, but my mind has gone in all kinds of places. And sometimes it's harmless silliness like that, thinking about lights and, and yard and weed and feed. Sometimes it's more detrimental. You see, sometimes in our mind, do you know what, uh, what happens? Satan sneaks in there and he says, let me talk to you about your value. Let me talk to you about your worth. You remember back in fourth, fifth, sixth grade? You remember when you were always picked last out on the, the playground? You remember how you, we've joked about that and laughed about it? That was really the truth. That's really where your value's at. And you start playing back in your mind things like that. I mean, do you remember the time growing up, you remember the, like, the names that you might have been called here or there? And I know they giggled afterwards and said they were joking, but it stuck, and I want... I want you to know, this is what Satan's saying to us, I want you to know, those were actually pretty accurate descriptions of who you are. And our mind goes to those kind of places. And it's almost like Satan is, is allowed the floor in a courtroom and a case is now being tried against us. And he keeps throwing out whatever evidence, the strongest evidence he can. 
you know those kids, they don't really speak to you anymore. Do you know why they don't speak to you? Because you're a rotten, horrible father. And it just keeps going on in our mind. Satan will throw whatever he wants out there. And then, you know who the judge is? You. You're the judge. And the judge kicks it over to the jury. You know who the jury is? You're the jury as well in your mind. The judge kicks it to the jury, and then it comes back, and it's guilty. It's guilty. And we start to believe this of our worth and our value when our mind wanders and we start to think through these things. We start to think of the, 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 you know, the wife that left us and the reasons why. We start to think about the job that didn't work out so well or that uh, we got fired from, and, and on and on and on and on. And we come back and we tell ourselves, being judge and jury ourselves, you're guilty. That's your value. That's your worth. It's pretty low. I so wish that I could just like sneak in your head and declare those mistrials every time. Just thrown out of court. Uh, But there's, there's only one person that can do that. Christ himself declares that in our life. For all who come to him, he declares. Those are mistrials. That evidence is not accurate. Remind yourself of your value as you receive communion this morning. Number two is uh, you need to remember that you're, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Yeah, you're, you're really forgiven. Do you know that like nothing you've done, nothing like you're doing right now that nobody else knows about, nothing is bigger than the cross. When you just, when you see the cross, maybe you see a depiction at Easter time just a couple weeks ago, like you watched a video depiction of Jesus going to the cross. Nothing's bigger than that. Nothing you've done is bigger than that. Maybe it's just like this small thing that sits on your desk. It's just a little cross and it's just a little reminder of the Christian faith and what Christ did for you. Nothing's bigger than, than even that symbol because of what Christ did on the cross. There's nothing our sin, past or present, is any greater, any bigger than what he did. Now, I know some of you are like, well, Tom, you don't, you know, I mean, you don't quite know what, what I did. You don't quite know what I'm doing right now. You don't quite know that, like, I actually sometimes serve and, and I'm a leader in certain areas, and then I fall to this at other times. You don't quite know. And I want to say, you're right. I, I, I don't know for sure. Now, I've been in ministry long enough that there's not a lot of things that shock me when I hear about things, but I don't know. But it's no mystery to God. It's not like God this morning, like, is already surprised and just, it's sprung on him that he goes, oh, I didn't know that. He knows already. He, walk, he tries to walk through it as much as he can with you right now. And nothing you're doing, nothing you've done is bigger than that. You know how we know this? It's right there in Scripture, Romans 5, 6 through 8. This is what it says. When you were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when I contextualize that scripture, I think, yeah, I mean, I probably lay down my life for my wife, for, uh, you know, for my kids. 
maybe for a, a close friend, like I, when I look out at you, I mean, I can just tell the way sometimes you, like you snuggle up next to your wife or, or husband. Like, yeah, you'd probably do that too for your spouse, right? For your kids. I mean, I know you enjoy like them going to the children's time so you can have a little adult time in service, but you'd die for them, right? Yeah. But here's Jesus, the example on the other end of the spectrum saying, man, go down to the prison, go down to the death row, go down to the worst, go down to the scum of the earth, and I'll die for them. That's what he's saying there. And we're forgiven in that process. Forgiven. So this morning when you come and you receive, for some of you, you, this is not an issue. You've received and accepted this and you thank the Lord for it daily. For some of you, you still battle it because you listen to the lie of Satan that you're really not forgiven. I want you to be reminded that you're forgiven. But I have to kind of share the whole side of this as well. I, I want to give the, the accurate picture overall of this forgiveness that you need to be reminded of when you come and you receive communion. These are Jesus' words. We find it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. It says this at the, the end of how Jesus taught us to pray. It says this, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It's what we just, just talked about. God will forgive us. But he adds in there that we, we've got to forgive others. He's so serious about this that he doesn't just end the statement there. He says here, verse 15, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And you're like, man, well, Tom, you mean I need to like this morning communion just like start forgiving people? It's that significant to God. I mean, that's like crazy talk, right? I mean, you don't know what they've done to me or what they said about me. You don't know what they set in motion in my life that I have to endure today because of what they said or did years past. Like, you don't know like the, just the behind the scenes stabbing that went on that caused something. I thought they were my friend. Just recently here, there was an NBA player, point guard, young kid, with a fellow teammate, and they were taking videos and, and kind of joking around having fun in a hotel room. And the young player took a video of the other player talking about cheating on his girlfriend, cheating fiance. You know, big deal. Well, somehow that video got leaked out. And you know how it goes on social media, especially for celebrities. It goes and it is gone and it is everywhere. Listening to the talk shows talk about this young player, over and over and over, I heard somebody say the word, and that's, you just don't do that to a teammate. This guy code, you don't do that to another guy. And then they would say the word, that's just unforgivable. Unforgivable. Really? Two players talking and something gets videoed? But that's how we think sometimes. We get wrong. Something happens to us. It digs in deep. It hurts. We still have to endure it to some degree, even today. And we draw the line and we said, I'm not going to forgive. Now, I'll go on and live my life. I'll not let it haunt me all the time. But when the thought comes up or when I'm confronted with it, I'm not forgiven. And God is saying, if you want to understand how this forgiving of you thing really works, you need to start forgiving other people as well. And so when you come and you take communion this morning, would you remember there might be somebody in your life to just start to lay it down, get rid of it, forgive them, and don't carry that boulder with you any longer. 
I know some of you, you might say, and we don't ever verbalize it this way, but we say, if I were to start just forgiving other people, that's just not fair, right? I mean, it's, it's just not fair. And I would say to you, well, of course not. Forgiveness has never been about fairness, but it is about releasement and freedom for us as well in forgiving. Here's the third thing I want you to remember this morning, significant, is that Jesus is returning. I mean, praise the Lord that Jesus says in his word, he is returning. Over and over we find this. In fact, we just read the passage, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Praise the Lord for that, that he's coming For some of you, I know you are so deeply stressed about the world that we live in right now and what you see and what you encounter. Know that this isn't the final product. It's not the final victory. Christ is is returning. He's coming. That's good news. Well, when is he coming? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. In fact, if you ever get hooked up with an organization or you're watching something or listening to something and they can pinpoint it down to a date, a specific time, you know, just turn that off. Don't ever return to that. In fact, the Bible even tells us uh, that, that it, even the angels and, and Christ did, did not know this final time. Listen to this. However, no one knows the day, this is Jesus talking, or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. But he is returning. And that is good news. And the question to ask ourselves sometimes is, like, do we live like he's returning? Or do we live like he came and went? And that time is done. But he's returning. Sometimes I'm, I'm asked just this question, well, why has God waited so long to return? I mean, why does he just linger on and on? I remember one of the first days in the church as a teen, I went to one of the adult Bible study classes. I was about, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. And I remember going in, and it was on the book of Revelation. You ever done a study on that? Um, This was my first. I didn't even know Revelation existed. But uh, I remember somebody talking about one of the passages of the star falling from the sky, and they tied it into a current event that was happening uh, in our world at the time. And I just remember that sticking and me thinking now uh, for the next 20 years or so trying to connect that world event with Jesus' return. And I'm like, well, I I thought it was going to happen any week then back in the day. Now it's been about 20 years. So maybe I don't understand time frame in God's eyes. And um, that's not how how it works out, though. Um, Why, though, is God lingering? Why does he take so long? He actually says, he gives us this biblical answer in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, not as some people think of slowness. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why does God linger so long? Uh, God lingers for some of you that haven't yet said yes to him who haven't yet said, confess their sin and turn their life to living a life for him and receive the life he has to offer here and then the life eternal. God has lingered for some of you that sit right here. 
God's lingered for many of the people that you call friends or you call co-workers or even family members because God has said, I love them. They're so valuable to me that I want them to have the opportunity to say yes to me. And you might say, well, I invited them to church once and they said no. So they had the opportunity. Come on back, Jesus. Um, well, the way God looks at it is he, he's just so passionate that he lingers. He lingers. Now, I'd love to say that means I have the whole timeline played out of what that means and when that will actually come to, to Christ's return, but I don't know. But I do know this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you wonder why God is lingering, you should immediately turn to another question and say, well, am I sharing, who, am I sharing about Jesus with others? Because that's why he lingers. It's why you're still here. When we talk about inviting to church or talking to somebody about Jesus, we talk about the very meaning and purpose that we are here on this planet. The very, very meaning and purpose that Christ has not returned yet is simply for others to know him. And God's going to use us in that way. And so he's returning. I ask you again, are you living like he's returning, sharing who he is? I want to just share with you this takeaway, and then I want to transition us into communion. And we're going to receive this morning the communion. And I hope this morning that, that these opportunities to remember a few things will focus your communion in even a different way. The, the takeaway is simply this. What do you need to be reminded of during communion today? What is it you need to be reminded of? Do you need to be reminded of your value and your worth and that you're significant and that God never looks down and says, you're pretty good, you're good, you're really good, that's great. And you, no, I'm not even sure why you're here this morning. Uh, God doesn't look at it that way. Do you need to be reminded that you're forgiven this morning? That God doesn't in an equal way look down and say, yeah, I can forgive you, I can forgive you, I can forgive you. Um, come on, man. I, I know what you're doing. There's not a chance. That's not how God looks at it. You are forgiven through confession and do you remember that he is returning? And that this morning, he's returning. So uh, for you, there's still time. God is lingering specifically for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. Or this morning, you've already said yes, and he's specifically lingering so that you would go out and speak to others about Christ. What do you need to be reminded of this morning? Jesus, on the night of his betrayal... He took a loaf of bread. It was much like this. It was flat, unleavened. And he broke it in front of his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm amazed so often that we seek the forgiveness and, and the wholeness of God, but somehow we really like to live in the brokenness of our past. And God is saying, you, you don't have to. I, my body was broke so that you could live whole. In the same way, he took a cup and he held it in front of his disciples. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. And that was a powerful metaphor. They knew that the shedding of blood for the remission of sin, forgiveness through the shedding of blood, Christ's blood would be that. And I'm equally as amazed at time on those that know the theology of forgiveness yet they still live in such shame and self-inflicted condemnation for their own sin. And God is saying, you, you don't have to do that. Uh, you were so valuable to me 
that I was willing to pay the highest price. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, we're going to take communion. There'll be a, a spot or two spots in the front here and in the back. Just go to whatever is most convenient to you. We serve an open communion, which means if you know the Lord is your Savior, we invite you to come and to receive. You don't have to be a member here. You don't even have to be a regular attender. It could be your first Sunday. Come and receive communion this morning. Finally, though, I want to say to you that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. This would be a great opportunity for you this morning to do that. You can do it quietly in your seat, or you can use these stairs as, as our altar that we use to, to just bow before him and pray. And this could be a significant impact to your life in your first communion as a believer. For the rest of us, I, I invite you, you, spend as much time as you would like up here praying. Whatever it is God needs to be reminded you, if you need to get in a different posture to focus, please use this altar up here, these steps, and, and go to him. Let me pray. Father, remind us of who you are. Remind us of our great value before you. Remind us that we are forgiven. Lord, remind us that we have those in our life that we need to forgive. Remind us you are coming. And because of your return, that, Lord, you're ordering our days. You're dictating to us, be about something. Surrender your life to me or, or go share me with others. Lord, bless this time as we remember. I pray in your son's name. Amen. The Lord's table is prepared. Would you come and receive?